Welcome to Sound and Vision, conversations with contemporary artists and musicians about the creative process. Here's the host of Sound and Vision, Brian Alfred. Sound and Vision is sponsored by Golden Artist Colors. Manufactured in upstate New York, an employee-owned company, Golden makes the best acrylics, oil paints, and watercolors that you can buy. You can find them in your local art store, or you can find them online at goldenpaints.com. Sound and Vision is supported by the New York Studio School. The school welcomes artists from around the world to join us this summer in New York City or virtually from your studio to learn from dedicated artists and expand as a maker in the legendary Marathon program. Rigorous and immersive, Marathons unfold over 10 days from 9 a.m. to 6 p.m. Eastern Standard Time daily and present an extensive range of art-making strategies, comprehensive critiques, and inspirational discussions. Expansive, first-hand discoveries propel artists to relate to drawing, painting, and sculpture as direct methodologies for understanding one's experience in the world, the profound impact of which continues far beyond each marathon's conclusion. Generous partial scholarships are available. Visit nyss.org to apply today. Fulcrum Coffee Roasters are a Seattle-based, full-service, wholesale coffee roaster and retailer with over 25 years of experience defined by a focus on premium roast coffee and local and global community. Check out their coffee at fulcrumcoffee.com. Sound and Vision listeners can get 20% off your order of coffee by using the code ALFREDSTUDIO when you make an online order. Carolyn Salas was born in Hollywood, California. She earned a BFA in sculpture from the College of Santa Fe and an MFA from Hunter College. She's attended residencies at the Abrams Art Center, AIR Space Program, the NARS Foundation in New York, Blue Mountain Center in Blue Mountain Lake, New York, the Vermont Studio Center in Vermont, and the Santa Fe Art Institute in New Mexico. She's also been a recipient of an Elizabeth Foundation Studio Program Space Award. She's had exhibitions including the Berkshire Museum, the Torrance Art Museum, the Santa Barbara Contemporary Arts Forum, Evergold Projects in San Francisco, Casey Kaplan, Koenig and Clinton, Brookfield Arts, Spring Break Art Show, and Kate Warbley Gallery in New York, Mrs. and Masbeth Towson University in Baltimore, Maryland, Paramo Gallery in Guadalajara, Mexico, and Nada Special Projects in Miami, Florida. Most recently, she was awarded an artist-in-residence at Stoneleaf Retreat in New York. She's the recipient of the 2021 Queen's Council on the Arts Individual Grant and is in an upcoming August group show with Rachel Uffner and Mrs. Gallery at Foreland Upstate in conjunction with Nada. I spoke with Carolyn about relocating, sculpting, parenting, teaching, and much more. Here's our conversation. I don't know. I mean... <laughs> what's going on in your life? I, like, what's... I have, like, I'm having an emotional, like, existential crisis because of the pandemic. And right. everything sort of, like, shifted in our lives. And we made this transition upstate. We were living in Brooklyn. Um, we were We were there for the past year. And then we decided... You know, maybe we're not going to go back to Brooklyn and we're going to try this, you know, we're going to do this road trip out to Santa Fe, which is where 
we are now. <laughs> and wait, so how? So I get the because a lot of people did split yeah. and go upstate or wherever, right. you know, out basically escape the city so you can have like a yard or a life or something. Something, yeah. <laughs> so you did that. Yeah. Was, was that experience good or was it, I mean, was it nice to get out? And I'm, I would assume maybe you were around more nature and a yard or something. I mean, I, 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 it was actually like, it was an incredible year for us because we have two kids and a small yeah. apartment. And it, I mean, it was so intense to be there with them that this year was actually like one of the better years because of having space and outdoors and yard. And we ended up right. having like a miracle neighbor across the way with two kids and it just, everything just worked out, but that had to come. That's great. But yeah, it was great, but it had to come to an end because that was not our life. That was like whatever life that was that we were living right. was like not our lives. It was like, it just was like a random location um, that I selected because all the houses were, you know, getting taken or bought or the prices yeah. were crazy. And so it was like, Adam was like, if you can find a place, you know, close enough, that's the same price as our studio. Let's do it. So, it, so you just rented it for a year. Yeah. Um, nice. But it ended up being actually it's in Bethel, um, which is okay. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I had no, I had no idea about this town or where, where it was located or the history. So it was like the original Woodstock happened there so it was kind of nice right. to have that i don't know connection it's this little farm you know a farming area but um groovy yeah it was <laughs> still it was actually really nice but then we had to leave it and so now we're like we decided to do this road trip and now we're in santa fe and i'm like what are we doing with our lives i have no idea what we're sort of like deciding after 22 some years um for me in new york like are we gonna leap and take this move out we don't know right which is it, it don't you think it's it almost mirrors life in a way to where you just get so caught up in your busy day-to-day -day that wherever you are feels like the default and this is my life like this defines me because i'm just doing it every day right. you don't really think about alternatives that much like oh we could just move to spain well technically you could but no this is our life this is what we're doing uh, we have kids or you right. know whatever it is right. And then COVID just kind of like punched everyone in the face and threw everything into question. Right. So all those decisions that would have been like these monumental shifts or changes, just rogue, like when someone's just like, okay, I'm just leaving New York or I'm just going to move out to Idaho, whatever, or overseas or whatever it is, right. those would be huge, but they just felt like, Oh well, it doesn't matter now because the kids are on school and a laptop right. anyway. Right. It made all you need is Wi-Fi, so no one can do anything. It made the decision easier because you're just like, we have to do something. <laughs> we're gonna, right. we're gonna do, we're gonna break up. We're you know I'm gonna move out and like I don't know what's gonna happen to the kids. Somebody else is gonna take them. <laughs> Was like. Was like this. <laughs> I'm glad I I'm glad that didn't happen to me because I <laughs> we stuck it out and I. I mean, I dodged that bullet. Yeah. We didn't okay. like, you know, well, good. we didn't run away from each other. No one. I mean, it's, it was tenuous. Yeah. So you have, you yeah. have a, you have a, a child. Yeah. He's older. Than, he, well, I don't know how old your kids are. Um, just turned eight and five. Oh yeah. Okay. So yeah, that's manageable. Kind of. 
I don't need, I don't know what's not manageable. <laughs> My son was 13, which is like Okay, that's yeah. Pretty hard. Kind of way doable as far as logistics, but brutal emotionally. Yes. You know what I mean? Right. I think. <laughs> yeah, so I don't yeah. know. But then like moving out and being secluded only child, that would have been tough. Oh, too. totally. So at least you had two to sort of yeah. hang out and stuff. Yeah. But then your so your your sort of year long adjustment now caused the whole life sort of plan to go into question yeah um it's exciting to- yeah <laughs> i can only handle so many like you know there's only so right. many things that I, and also during all this you know i was i was teaching um i've been adjuncting for years and my job kind of like you know like a lot of people things got shortened or canceled so that's also in flux right. um you know i don't i, I think you know, people will start coming back to New York for school. I mean, I don't know about this semester, but... Oh, it's back. Yeah. I feel like it's already back to normal here, right. to be honest. I mean, not normal, but you know what I mean? The energy. Yeah. Like with New Yorkers, it's like if we feel like it's going to be possible, they'll stick it out and it'll make it out. They'll just make it happen through like sheer, you know, relentless, <laughs> you know, determination. Yeah. No, totally. That's how New York is. We just keep going. I mean... Yeah. Um, but that's also put things in question and I don't know, we're, we're here and trying to figure it out. <laughs> Wait, so Santa Fe, what, I mean, it sounds like you got on, you hopped on a freight train and you just ended up in Santa Fe. Well, <laughs> I, I went to school here. I went to undergrad here and to the college of Santa Fe, which is no longer, it's like one of those schools that like got eaten up and I still owe tons of money for it. And I keep calling like, do I really have to pay for this? This school, this school doesn't <laughs> exist. exist anymore. Like, come on, right, right. please. It's funny money at this yeah, point. Yeah. It was like, I don't know, people embezzled money, this, that it turned into different names. Um, but oh, geez. anyways, it was always a place when I was here that I really found, I don't know, there's something about it that wanted me to, come back or keep coming back. And I, I ended up doing like many years with my friend whose father owned a fireworks company. I would come out for sure. the summer and I would do fireworks shows with them. It was very, you know, <laughs> exciting. Um, and then I got a residency at the, um, the Santa Fe Art Institute. And that's when Adam and I, my partner started dating and he came out and he really enjoyed it. And so when we were thinking about, you know, where could we possibly live that might be financially um doable we're both from california so california is so expensive it's sort of like out of the question so this seemed like a you know a closer destination to our families than new york yeah um right but this is just you know this is we're going to try out plan a we might we might do plan b or c or d i don't know at this point (laughs) that we're on a vision quest and we've got to figure out what the visions are and i don't know what they are yet so I can imagine that that is, you know, as an artist, like the studio too is a big thing, right? Yeah. Like it's, isn't it unsettling when you move studios or like finding spaces and all that crap? And, and it's like uprooting that and with kids. Right. Although, you know, I've talked to a lot of people on this podcast and a lot of those people grew up like bouncing all over the place and it turned out to be great in their life or you know what I mean they became really sort of like perceptive interesting humans and I think that 
is no coincidence that they did move around and have all these different experiences. Right. Um, yeah, I mean, I think uprooting the studio, we've done it so many times. I feel like that's like, I mean, it's like every time I do it, it feels crazy, but then it also feels good. So I feel like I'm pretty used to that and working in like, you know, different spaces. And now this past year, I mean, I think it's really kind of pushed me to like realize I don't need that kind of space. Like I can do it anywhere now. I can, I can really do yeah. it in, on the porch, in a garage, you know, in, at the kitchen table. It just, it doesn't require like that sanctuary like it did. And I think <clears throat> also with children, you don't have very much time. So even if I did have a sanctuary that I'd go to, it wouldn't be for very long. So the yeah, fact that like I a, like... It's like a weekend rental. Yeah, I take out the travel, <laughs> you know, no traveling time, you know, whatever, biking, subway, you're just there. Then it's like, all right, I get an extra half an hour. Yeah, that construct of the the importance of the studio in, in its geographic look, I mean, that just got annihilated too by COVID. Yeah. Like people are just making work anywhere, wherever, yeah. you know, and you realize a lot of that is this sort of like, I don't know, it's like the things that when you grow up, everyone tells you and you just believe it and you're like, oh, well, you got to do this. You got to do that. And it's like, mm, maybe you don't, you yeah. know, maybe it's not that important. Maybe, um, you know, finding out what fits, fits best for you is the most important thing. Right given the circumstance but that's the thing sometimes when you're hustling and just trying to make work and do your thing you get so busy in that process that you can't pause you can't take a moment to say like what what am i doing with my life right you know right. <laughs> so, so that is that is that um heavy enough no, that, for the beginning of this that's thing? great i mean that's what we're doing we're pausing we're on pause trying to figure out what we're doing with our life so yeah right yeah and I would imagine that a lot of people listening are in that moment of like, you know, like I've had, st I, I teach too and I've had students are like, what? The, I mean, I got into a grad school. Do I just put it off? They're letting me put it off. Do I need to go? What should I do? Where should I go? Should I go somewhere that's cheap or like where I can get money? What, you know, right. I think everyone's just kind of like walking around with a giant question mark over their head and it's going to take a little time for, you know, the post COVID, I mean, knock on wood post COVID, but yeah. you know, yeah. the, the sort of like acclimation to whatever now is seeps in, but yeah, yeah. I don't, we don't, we don't know, do no. we? It's, <laughs> it's a big, so, uh, so you said you grew up in California and if I'm not mistaken, your bio says Hollywood. Well, yeah. I mean, I was born in Los Angeles. That's where you were born. Yeah. And, um, I lived there until I was. 13, 14, and then my mom moved up north by Lake Tahoe. But my whole family is like, my dad's in Glendale, my sister's in Valencia, um, my other sister's in San Francisco, Santa Cruz. So it's like, they're all over. Um, but true West Coasters, it sounds yeah. like. How did that happen? How did your parents... I'm always curious on how people end up over in California. Oh, how did my initial family... Yeah, like, were, were, did, were they working, you know, like, what brought them to California? Um, are we talking generations? We're talking generations, yeah. I mean, my dad's side of the family is um, Spanish, Mexican. They came over from Texas and, you know, Mexico. And then, I don't know, my mom just lived there for many years. So it's, that's where they've been. Were they creative individuals? Um, my mom 
No, not so much. My mom, I mean, I'm the youngest of six and I think she, I mean, she, well, yeah, she worked a lot of different jobs, but my dad worked in the film industry. He was an architect. So a set designer. Okay. Yeah. So that works yeah. for Hollywood. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> set designer. That's cool. And that's sculpture. Really? Yeah. I mean, he was doing, he was doing more like drafting at the time. It was all hand drafted. Um, oh, so yeah. it was very, Remember that? yeah, it was pretty, <laughs> you know, I mean, it probably took them ages to figure out something by hand. Um, yeah, it's so different. Yeah. It's, it's really cool. Like to think about the, the change and like how people used to do that stuff. Yeah. You know, I was just, so my son was just watching one of the new Marvel shows, you know, the TV shows and you could kind of tell that the background was like 90% CGI. Oh yeah. And then I was thinking, though, but back in, because, you know, I grew up in the Star Wars days. It's like, they just build that stuff. Right. You had to hand you know? build it. It was all, yeah. <laughs> I know. Yeah. Can you imagine? Yeah. So, uh, yeah, that's really cool that that was his gig. Did he enjoy it? Um, he did. I mean, I have sort of a contentious relationship with my father, but he was in, in and out of work. I mean, just like, um, you know, with the union, you get hired on a job and then... You're not. So it was all, there was always a flux sort of thing happening, but I think yeah. he did enjoy it. Yeah. Well, was the, I mean, youngest of six. Yeah. I mean, did you technically have parents? Didn't they check out at like four? Oh yeah. No, I totally was like, <laughs> they're like, who, you, what, where? Whatever. <laughs> you're, you're gone for the summer. Wait, did I actually put you like, yeah. no, I was, I was like the official, I felt like, I mean, the latchkey kid, like that was me. They're like, all right. Um, Get off the bus and sit on the lawn and wait for your brothers and sisters to come home. And that's what I would do for hours. I was like, I think I was in kindergarten when that was happening. I mean, it was insane. Um, but what could you do? I mean, your parents worked and it wasn't, you know. Different times. Different times. Different times. Yeah. There was nothing you could do. Yeah. I mean, you you couldn't monitor or track or whatever. Yeah. And it, it kid six anyways, you're like, whatever. They're fine. Right. You They're know, fine. that must be refreshing to feel that way about it. Yeah, she. Have you seen her? She hasn't been around in a couple weeks. Oh, she's okay. Yeah. She's over at Jen's house. Okay, whatever. Oh my god, <laughs> that must be nice. Oh my god. Nowadays, not so much. Yeah, I mean, if my mom only knew. Like, I was talking to my friend, and there was one summer where her dad went sailing, and I don't even remember this. She's like, "Yeah, my dad was gone," and. You just lived at my house. And I think my mom just thought <laughs> that the parents were there. And I was like, oh, my God, we actually did that? Like, solo. Like, her dad's friend was dropping off groceries and, like, you know, a little bit of cash. <laughs> yeah. But that's, yeah. That's impressive. I guess, in a way, and once you get past the frightening possibilities of what can happen when you leave, you know, adolescence alone in a house for however long, you... It probably teaches you how to get by. Yeah. You know what I yeah. mean? Like these kids these days, they don't know. You stick them in a the house by themselves and they'd be like, what's the Wi-Fi? Right. How, how do I? <laughs> you know, like I can't. What do I? <laughs> how do I cook? Just starve. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Look at the kitchen like, oh, like I think there's food in there. Yeah. yeah so I think it's it just probably something great. I was a latchkey kid too. I mean, my parents both worked all the time. So, yeah. you know, I came home or I'd either go to the boys club which was the boys club and, or I would just walk home and just hang out and watch TV and I don't know, not study. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's pretty great. Looking back at it nowadays, the child protective services would be oh, like, yeah. like Definitely. two hours. Definitely. 
Um, but but a good childhood, I guess, or at least I guess eventful. Oh yeah. Oh mine. Oh. Yeah. yeah. I mean. Oh, not mine. I mean, mine was not I, yeah. No, it's crazy. I mean, yeah. My sister raised me, who's practically well. She's like eleven years older, so I got to do a lot of things that she was doing at the time. <laughs> you know. Yeah. And so that was nice to have that. Are you guys still tight? Yeah, we're we're pretty close. All of you? And there are most of them West Coast still. They they all are. Yeah. So it's hard once you go over there. It's a siren. Yeah. The weather, the just the vibe, yeah. you know. Yeah. I've seen a lot of people go out there and they don't make it back. I don't know. There's something weird. I've never. I mean, I know it, and it's it's a strange. I don't think I could live there. That's what's so hard about it. Oh, I. Yeah, I couldn't. I mean, no offense to California people. I just, I. It's a great place to visit, but my my sensibility doesn't lock in. I think. Yeah. I mean, it depends on. Plus, I need seasons. Yeah. I love that. That's the one thing about being up upstate this year was I actually watched the seasons happen. You know, like. Isn't it nice? It's so, yeah, in, yeah. in New York, you're just like, oh, all of a sudden it's like you see a flower and then it's summer. You know, it's like the right. whole change happened before my eyes and I was like awakened. I was like, this is amazing. <laughs> yeah. Like every day the leaves change color and you're like, oh, wow, that's a different shade of orange. Yeah. That's really yeah. nice. Yeah. Well, that's, I mean, yeah, I guess, well, Santa Fe, what's Santa, I don't really know Santa Fe well. I mean, Santa Fe is a little bit strange because it's like, you're really high up in altitude, so they do get snow here. There's like a ski basin, and there's like beautiful aspen trees, a little bit, like the train is a little bit like Colorado up in the mountains, but then you come down to the town of Santa Fe, and it's like, you know, desert and arroyos and, you know, miles of nothingness, you know, you know, that's the appeal is that you're just like, you know, you're out here and you're really connected to the earth or, you know, nature. And, um, so we'll see. It seems like a good balance. I mean, my brother's in Denver and it feels like that, like he'll get the cold, he'll get the warm, but then you can travel, you're close to really hot weather. You know, like it's kind of like, yeah. you know, diverse in that sense. We'll see. I mean, Santa Fe had, it had, it has like a weird connection, like a New York art scene. Like they have a couple of things, very small sites, sites, Santa, Santa Fe, Fe which yeah. is where I used to work. And that's how I like got connected to the art world in New York. Like I just sort of met all these artists, Gata Amer, and I worked with um, Dave Hickey on this show. And who else was there? Um, Chris Johansson. It's just sort of like, awakened me to like all you know the outside art world um so that's a pretty good roster though yeah you know, dave hickey's amazing. dave hickey oh my god i don't know is he still around yes oh, okay. yeah. um i don't think he writes my uh, i mean i'm totally not sure of this but i don't think he writes that much anymore but i've seen him speak here and there yeah. not in person but like on video yeah. no he was he but those books were integral during school yeah for me totally influenced me um but anyway, so that was like a nice connection, and um, I don't know what I don't know what the scene is like now. So that's what we're sort of testing. <laughs> we're, t- we're seeing what it's like because we're not sure. It's, that was years ago, um, right? So we'll see. Yeah, like late '90s, early 2000s felt like it was jumping. Yeah, yeah. Well, that's good. So, but you and you have a show up now. I have a show up now at Mrs. And yeah, yeah 
It's got in Maspeth. A couple more weeks to go. Yeah, in Maspeth of all places. She's got she's got that little space out there and it's um I love Maspeth. Yeah, she's really uh she's got a good following. It's like a destination spot. Well, there's always one key part of that, I think, is having really good shows. Yeah. And she does. Yeah, she's got a she's got a good vision. It's underrated. She's got a great vision. <laughs> yeah, she does. Um so in, in looking at your work, too, because I only know your work as of a certain time period. Um, so it seemed like it kind of changed a lot. I mean, it morphed from a really sort of raw kind of, um, I don't want to say environmental, but there was a there's sort of a raw installation kind of like grit. Mm-hmm. And then it morphed into sort of these like really beautiful kind of relationships to sort of like modern form and. But and then hearing set design, there's a, a lot of that sort of like shallow depth to these sort of like three dimensional pictures. It looks like which, and the palette is really great. Like this reduced palette. I don't know. It seems like a really interesting migration. So maybe you could take us from when you were a baby playing with blocks <laughs> to how that led to sculpture and school. No, I'm just kidding. But you know how you moved through these different ways of of seeing and making. Well, the funny thing is that when I was in Santa Fe, I I trained with a woman um, doing mold making. And so the mold making and casting, I worked at a foundry. Um, I learned all these, you know, different techniques while I was here. And that sort of like informed me and gave me a great experience to move to New York. But I did actually work in the the um, scenic industry there and worked on several films. And um, so that had always influenced my work, like mold making. And that was always something yeah. I, mean, I taught mold making. I still do it. Um, I often help my partner out <laughs> uh, with it, making molds for him. Um, yeah. You know, so it's like it's, it's in me, and um, it's just. Um, and so I think that's what you're referring to that that prior work where it was all very much like textural. Or um, I was casting a lot of like styrofoam and building that way, collaging pieces together. And I think what happened um, was that I had kids, <laughs> and, oh, and that whole and um, I had less time. And like mold making takes a lot of time, and I was really getting impatient. And even though I love the like I love the physical process, and I love the outcome of like texture and like the tact, you know, the materiality of everything. And um, you know, I think the work was a lot more. Um, abstract or more minimal I mean my work is still very minimal but it was more about the physical than like you know maybe now it's more formal or um yeah I don't know but um I think what happened was there was a transition and for me it was about time and so and money mold making is really expensive and I I figured out different ways of, of of using actually um alginate which is typically like for the body to make mm-hmm. and you don't really use it like in big you know for big molds but i was i i learned different techniques that could i could make these you know waste molds on larger surfaces and make it work for me for like a one-time cast um so that's what i was yeah. doing a lot of and um um you know over the years i found that things were breaking and cracking i'm always working really large and so i was trying to figure out you know how can i do this quicker how can i get my ideas out you know faster and have um 
I guess, a quicker result without things breaking all the time. Because <laughs> I was using a lot of hydrocal, aqua resin, um, fiberglass, and all these things. You know, they're they're great and they're they're very durable, but then they require like major armatures and you know things like that. So um, I think that was where the transition happened. Where I was like, you know, I'm gonna try try doing these. I'm going to try to break it down into these more simplistic forms and like see what I can do, um, you know, with these planes, these, these, you know, very, all these different planes coming together, which was what is happening now with the work. Um, and I started working with a fabricator that could help me. So that was one of the things where I was able to get a little bit of, you know, money from some sales and figure out, okay, well, if I can get somebody to help me fabricate these things, then that will alleviate the time <laughs> on my end yeah. and I could get these things out quicker, you know? Right. Yeah. That, that element of time is so interesting, right? Because I think that it can force you into changes in the work. And I, I guess it depends on the artist, but I found that my pinch for time at times has been really productive. Mm -hmm. Because it limits me from overthinking or overworking and it forces me into decisions that, you know, I might not normally do when I, if I had eight in the morning till midnight every day oh, just totally. to work on my stuff, yeah. you know. So that, that pace change can be really like, it, it's almost like, I don't want to compare this because this sounds really awful, but I'll do it anyways. It's like a cooking show where you have an hour to make it. Right. And you might you might do something differently just because you have to just to get it done, but it might end up becoming something really great that you never would have tried if you were just doing your process as you normally do. Yeah. Oh, I totally agree. I mean, <clears throat> I'm probably going to go back to it. It's not that I've like given it up. It's just that the time constraints right now, like this this way of working, allows me to do it. Like um, basically, what I'm doing now is I'm making models, and I can do that from anywhere. You know, so that's like maquettes, maquettes. Like yeah, small like small orders. maquettes. And yeah. I've always kind of done that, but like differently, like when I was doing the really large cast pieces, I always like kind of rather than drawing, I always had to like, you know, piece them together physically, um, but in a smaller yeah. form and then work my way up. So it's the same like initial process, but it's just a little bit different now because I'm making them, you know, at home, wherever I can. And then giving them to somebody to turn into a 3D rendering. And from that, I can sort of like play and test and see and go back and forth. Where before it was like I was making everything and casting it and then being like, oh my God, this totally doesn't work. And being like, oh my, you know, like wasted material and time and agony and physical, you know, all that stuff just like got X'd out to being a little bit more streamlined. Um, yeah. So... That's where I'm at right now with this. Um, yeah, I mean, it's funny because because you know you do you start doing one thing and then you're sort of missing the other thing. So I mean, in between, you know, switching or or I guess developing and changing the work, I've also started delved into trying to teach myself ceramics or like learn more about it. So there's there you know I'm always playing with materials. Like I mean, I also do a lot with fabrics or textiles. So there's you know. This show in particular, I just wanted it to be completely these um, steel aluminum sculptures, like just one material, you know. Um, yeah, but there's a there's a different to me, you know. I don't, my 
in my eye, there's a different sensibility to beauty in these new ones. But I don't know if that's something that you're keying into or if they just happened to be. That the work has a different sense of beauty than the other, than the previous work? Yeah. Yeah, there's a lyricism and a sort of restraint that, um, to me, you know, sings of a kind of like minimalist beauty that, you know, that something like an Agnes Martin or, you know, a Calder or something like that is in dialogue with, you know, that maybe some of the older work, it, there's more going on. Like there's, it, it, it feels almost like you zoomed into that. But then again, I don't, I don't want to speak out of turn. Well, I think, I think like <clears throat> realizing, you know, that this was going to be the way I could work, um, whether I, you know, it's temporary or I move forward with this and keep working. Um, I think it allowed me just to pare down really like this language that I was working with. And um, maybe from that, I mean, I think like what you're saying, like the one hour cooking show, (laughs) the, the like the mark making and the lines or the cutouts or these collages that I would make, you know, I wasn't being too fussy with them. I wasn't like, I wasn't really like, concerned with getting a straight edge or, you know, like these things, you know, that, that same element where the, the, you know, in mold making or whatever, you're just, you're sort of doing these steps to get to the final product. Um, and a lot of that is, um, you know, I think it, I think with mold making is thinking about the negative and positive spaces. And I think that still comes into play a lot with my work is like, I think about, you know, how are these, the negative spaces affecting the positive and going back to that. So and th- figuring out this balance. Um, but I think really the idea of paring everything down came in to perspective this last year when building this show or thinking about this show. Yeah. And also thinking about, you know, I guess, where we're at and and obviously being affected by everything <laughs> that was happening in the world. Right. But um yeah. Do you have um kind of I I feel like most artists have a much more diverse sort of set of influences that one would assume on the surface of looking at the work. Mm-hmm. Right so like people will always say to me like oh you must like Alex Katz or or Sheeler or Ed Rouget or something or a Hopper. And there's so much other stuff out there. I mean, I could go certain places with your work and think of what you might be looking at, but are, is there certain work that really speaks to you or that you feel like resonates with you? Is it always changing or is it <coughs> core ones? Like Van Gogh for me isn't always, he's like a go-to all the time, you know, or Joe Bear is one of my favorite artists. Um, but what, like, do you have that or is it more varied and fluid? I mean, it's always been really varied and I'm constantly looking at my peers, you know, and my artist friends, everybody who, who I'm surrounded with. And then obviously my partner has a big influence on me. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think the older artists, um, you know, a lot, I was looking when I, when I was much younger, Eva Hess was always like a big influence or like thinking about all these yeah. like, you know, female artists, um, Louise Bourgeois are like, um, I don't know, there's so many, but I think I'm inspired more, like, there's, like, an emotional response for me, so it's a very, like, internal, um, I guess, association when I think about making the work. It's it's, it's an emotional, yeah. rather than I'm not, like, totally looking out for other inspirations, maybe. Right, no, definitely. Um did you happen to see that Legia Clark show that was up at was that at MoMA uh, years ago? I didn't see it. I, I know, I know it. With her work, I know it though. 
Yeah. She's amazing. Yeah. That was one of those shows where it just blew the mind because I knew some of the two-dimensional images, but I hadn't seen those maquettes that she makes that morph, like you can move them around and mm. stuff. And then she was doing performance and it was just like, what the, this is amazing. Right. Sometimes certain artists can sneak through the cracks and then you find them later and it's kind of exciting. Like a music, like when you pick up a record and you're like, wait, this was 82? Right. This is amazing. Yeah. You know? It's so exciting when you do yeah. that. That is a transition to music. Is it something you, I mean, growing up, was there music in the house? I mean, there's probably a lot of noise with all the kids. Uh, <laughs> yeah, my dad, my dad played music. He played drums, but um, <clears throat> there wasn't a whole lot of music in the house. Um, it was, yeah, we didn't have that. <laughs> we didn't. You didn't play a lot? Did he have the kit in the yeah, house? Yeah, he had the kit did in the house. It? But it wasn't, I mean, it was something that he did, I think, in his younger years. I mean, he was, he always listened to jazz, actually, Um, in the garage. It was like, the garage was the music, you know, like, um, who is it? Um, Oh, who am I thinking of right now? Well, all the older jazz guys. Um, I can't think of them. Like Miles Davis? Yeah. Bill Evans, John Coltrane, Charles Bingus. (laughs) <laughs> all those guys <laughs> yeah so it was like his jazz his man cave jazz area yeah exactly oh maybe like dave brubeck like take five and thinking of like that era of like drums and drumming yeah. was so good um yeah it's too bad we didn't we didn't get a but you didn't you didn't grow up with a lot of a big music influence no. were you ever going to see live music or i mean as a kid as a teenager i did yeah. like you found I it. mean, I, th- I think, and, and I might be slightly um, embarrassed to say, but my first concert was ACDC. <laughs> I don't know if that, like... How could that be embarrassing? <laughs> I don't know. That is like... Because it was like, how old was I? Oh, my God. I don't even know. That That's the other thing is like, how did my mom let me go to this concert? I don't know, <laughs> you know. I thought you were going to say like extreme or something. Or, you know, my, my first... I'll... I'll better that. <laughs> my first concert was three bands it was cinderella white oh snake god. and poison oh god great you're welcome great <laughs> <laughs> and i had the mullet and the, and the shirt with the concert dates on the oh, back to prove it that's so awesome there's a photo somewhere of that it was pretty that's epic that's so awesome i also saw but yeah ACTC, ACDC. that's like real i mean that's that is a good and show. salt and pepper were they were on like the mtv dance show like doing their debut that's if that can date nice. me that totally dates to me that's, well yeah that's we are in the same so acdc uh, salt and pepper yeah yeah all the greats yeah that's good yeah. stuff it was such a good combination back then because you had like the good rock metal stuff and then you had like the beginnings of rap which was just amazing yeah. and then the whole you know aerosmith run dmc thing just blew everyone's oh, yeah. mind they were like whoa this is unbelievable yeah. But it was. It was amazing. Time for music. So are you still a, a music in the studio person or is it silence? or? No, I mean, I think I'm always picking up music. I mean, I actually, am a, I'm, I'll say it. I don't exactly know <laughs> all the time. I'm like, you know, the person that will get the song selection and then really love it. And then I'll be like, okay, what is that band? And then I'll get more of it. Um, right. If I'm listening to like, I don't know, WMFU, is that it? W, um, they always have, FMU? FM, yeah, they always have great, like, new music coming out. So I, I'll, like, yeah. kick off their stuff. Um, 
but yeah. yeah. Um, do you do that now? Do you still listen to like internet radio or do you do the whole streaming stuff? I do a little bit of both, but it's, I think because I've like, haven't been in my own space for the last, you know, now we're here at somebody else's house. <laughs> like, you know, it's been like, I used to have like a record collection and all my records and stuff like that. But I feel like over the years, things have transitioned and there's not a whole lot of like, I don't know, I listen to music when I'm running and when I'm at the studio yeah. vaguely, I'll like, you know, be trying to do so many things. So I feel like. It's not on the forefront right now. Right. Do your, uh, is it in your house though? Like, do your kids like music? Yeah. Oh yeah. They love music. Is it? Yeah. yeah. They're always making up songs. I don't know. I, I, I grew up with, I mean, we never had a silent house. Like there was always music yeah. on. So I'm kind of fascinated with other people's experiences because I know some people just grow up in silence. Like there's never music playing. Well, and I think there's always music. I just don't always know what it is. <laughs> That's what it is. I'm not like, that's fair. oh, that's, you know. Shazam. You're not Shazam. Yeah, I, wanna, I don't know the album name or this, you know, like Adam is very much into that, my partner. So he knows that and I'll just pretty much more or less like, you know, I mean, he'll actually that's that's I was going to say I'll listen to whatever. There was like a two week period where it was Grateful Dead all the time. And I mean, wow. that was a lot of Grateful Dead for me. So every time we got in the car or every time we were in the house and it would seem like the same song, like just it all kind of for the dead can for kind days of morph into, yeah, like a, that honestly, that could have been a live song that was, for this song. Been, but um, yeah, so I don't know. We have different, different tastes. I was going to say, I was going to say that I go along with his music choices, but that's not true. So I had to count at times, at, at, at times, times, at times. Right. Yeah. yeah, I get the same thing. I mean, I'm kind of, I definitely do the music nerd thing where I just get really into right. it. But you know, if, if my better half has BTS on, I'm listening to okay. it. I'm not fighting okay. it. I'll listen to it. <laughs> I'll go K-pop if I need to. You know, it's it's all, it's, the variety is the spice of life. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, well, let's get back to like what you, what, so this show, how long did you work on it for? And did you work in one specific place or were you working in different or you and you had a fabricator, right? I like had a fabricator. Yeah, it was. Um, um, I, I switched. Well, so I mean, I think I knew about it for about a year and then, you know, things it was hard to get to like the creative state after everything was happening the very beginning of the pandemic. And so I think it took me, you know, a couple months of transitioning and getting used to being upstate and like, um, you know, also doing like remote school with the kids all day long was intense, which we're still doing tomorrow's last day. Thank God. I know. I know. Isn't it brutal? It's so hard. But whatever. Um, but so, I mean, I think I worked on it for a good, like or thought about it for like six or seven months. And tested, you know, different models, different things that were working, not working. And then, you know, there's so much back and forth with um, the person I work with um, doing 3D rendering. So that's where I'm not. Like, I couldn't figure out how to get that. You know, we had a little bit of computer issues here. So you can only imagine yeah. me with a 3D renderer. I'm like, oh, like, how does that work? You know, like, I need to, like, go and, like, take a class and, like, really train myself, you know, in this area so i can be a little bit more 
you know, but um, so that takes time. Are they using like Rhino or something? Yeah, I think so. I don't even know. That's good. Yeah, I was going to say, like, I don't know. I'm, I mean, I'm not up to date on the latest, yeah. but, you know, I teach digital painting. Oh. And yeah. uh, a lot of those students are doing oh. 3D rendering and right. stuff, and they'll do that. Like, I had one student make this amazing, it was like a 3D painting. Right, so Which awesome. is kind of cool. So awesome. But uh, there's so many programs now. Like, when we were younger, it was kind of like, oh, well, Photoshop or 3D Studio Max. It was like there were a few, and now there's just like, right. you know. And teaching in that platform, it's almost like imagine teaching drawing, but there's like four million different kinds of pencils and like markers and or whatever or papers, which is so awesome. You can't even be, yeah, it's it's amazing, so awesome. and it, it kind of forces you to not be a tyrant about stuff no. because how could you be? You know, it's a I can't learn every program, so right. it's just kind of I will look at it and tell you what's working, what's not working, and maybe how to tweak it or whatever. But it doesn't have to get too nerdy on the on the technical side of right. things. I mean, that's why I love teaching is all, like you're always like, you know, getting introduced to new things from the students and like, that's definitely really great. But so anyways, yeah, I, 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 you know, it was about a seven month process of, you know, putting these pieces together and then working with Fabricator and um, going back and forth with them and making sure everything was okay. <laughs> um, yeah. 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 So that process is so... Um, interesting because of and thinking about it in relation to what we've just been going through that you know concepting and then the fabrication of things and then the space and time in between it's such a different pace i think but but i don't know are you doing like the daily like in normal circumstances let's say pre-covid are you do doing the normal daily grind in a studio are you sketching like are your is it kind of displaced and coming in bits and streams of, you know, I have an idea for this, I jot it down and then I'll go make the maquette a couple of days later or how does that work? I mean, in the studio before everything, I mean, I was, you know, doing, I think this, like this year really transformed the work because I had to work specifically like this. It seemed to make sense. Um, so, I mean, before this, you know, there was mold making, casting, you know, testing stuff, experimenting, um, you know, uh, whatever, weaving, tufting. I was doing like these carpets. And, but um, I mean, upstate, I did get a kiln. So I was doing a lot of like ceramic stuff. But I mean, I think there's, all, there's you know, we, Adam, my partner and I, we split our time equally. So it's like, this is your studio time and you're watching the kids. You know, it's always been an equal right. um, tag team parental ship. Yeah, tag team. So I've always had a designated studio time. So whatever I do in that studio time is like, you know, making towards something. Yeah. I mean, I think the thing I really enjoy is always experimenting with new materials. So I think, you know, trying to figure out where this new body of work is going to go and then like lead into something else. I don't know. So are you going to set up like a temporary space where you are now to work or? Oh, yeah. Which is the kitchen table. That does. Yeah, that works. <laughs> At night, you know, early in the morning, kitchen table, and then, you know, in between when Adam and I, like, do the breakup of the day. Right. You know, which is, I mean, there's a good four hours in there that you can get a lot done in four hours. It's funny how parenting um, really enables you to punch the clock and, and be productive when given that free time. Oh, yeah. It's a constant, it's a constant battle. But, like, once you're like, oh, my God, I have four hours. <laughs> 
I like used I to dilly dally. I used to dilly dally before I did it for like hours during the day, like just looking online or doing this or that. Now when I get to the studio, I'm like, it's go time. You know? Yeah. I write my whole list beforehand, what I have to do, what I want to get done. Accompli- I mean, the whole thing is like planned out before so yeah. that like it's like, yeah, focused time, which is fantastic. Right. So we might have less time to actually just work loosely, but we are much better at like being sort of like productive in that time we're given, I would think. Yeah. I mean, yeah. I even see a set up like it, it, I record at home in my studio is only like 10 minutes away. But like I, I make a little space here to work too because at like 11 p.m. sometimes that's a great time to just work for a couple hours when it gets quiet, really? you know? Yeah. And you miss that. There's something really beautiful about that quiet time when you're just working for a few hours and you hit that that zone where you just, everything else leaves, you know? I think that's the real, for me, that's the real joy of it. Yeah. Not that it's always joyful. It's Sometimes it's real pain in the ass, but you know. Oh, yeah. There's something really no. fulfilling about it. I mean, I feel like it, the art making is such a struggle. <laughs> it's so it hard. <laughs> it's such a struggle. And you're like, you know, there's the, the constant questions like, what am I doing? Is this good? You know, like you know, all the things that all the, you know, things that can get into your head. Yeah. But then when you have that one moment where it, something great happens, you know, you really feel like, oh, it's worth we could substitute the word art for parenting too, right? It's like the same thing. Like we're always right. like, oh, what are we doing? And it's a pain. But then, then there's like a moment when they do something or something happens and you're just like, oh yeah, it's totally worth it. Right. This is, this is joy. Yeah, this <laughs> is, this is what life's about. It's not always yeah. easy. It's not always yeah. a party, but it's what it's about. Right. Otherwise yeah. it would just be selfish. It's like, it's about me sitting on the couch watching whatever TV show. Right. <laughs> <laughs> so um people can find your work on websites, Instagram. Do you want to plug your show and all that stuff? Sure. So the show is um Buried Alive in the Blues. And um it's up through July fourth or July second. Oh my god, now I don't remember. Somewhere around um, Independence Day. Yeah, we've got about two weeks left or a week and a half. And after that, some of the work or one of the bigger pieces is going up to Foreland upstate. Nice. Um, which is opening August 12th um, and will run through September. And that's part of like Sarah from Mrs. is doing something with Rachel Effner Gallery and um, Nada will be happening at the same time. So if you don't get a chance to see it now, you can see it up there or at least one of the pieces. Um, yeah. So yeah, cool. go to Mrs. Um, website or Massbeth Queens to see it in person. I know Massbeth, which is a nice place. Yeah, people should check it out. Um, yeah. And yeah, that she's all like I said before. I feel like she's always doing great shows there. Oh, she, she is. Yeah, definitely. Well, thanks for taking the yeah. time out of your well thank you thanks for inviting me (laughs) i love listening to all you know it's so nice to hear other artists talk and um you know learn more about them so i appreciate this podcast that you're doing thank you